All right, well, good morning, Anthem. It is a joy to see you guys on Sundays. And uh, this morning, we're going to jump right in. Um, as I was reading through Philippians 4, uh, the, the end of the book that we've been going through for the last 12 weeks, the question that kept coming to my mind was, how do we be a church that stays the course to the end? In the world that we live in, in the time that we're at here, even in our own church, going through our own season, how do we be a church that stays the course to the end? Because even as I was preparing this sermon and, and looking at Philippians and considering where our culture's at and our world's at, I couldn't help but notice even looking at the news, looking at the shootings that have taken place in the United States over the last week or so. In Boulder, in Atlanta, in Virginia... Uh, at the same time, I was texting one of my buddies who lives in Brazil and the, the health care crisis that's going on there. Texting one of the, the friends I made when I was in college who is a, a Chinese guy who's now living in New Zealand. But he's just talking about, hey, man, this, this thing in China going on right now, the genocide of the Uyghur people. Like, from what I know, that's a real thing that's happening And as I think about our, our culture and our world and, and the status of our church today and look at Philippians 4, th that question just kept coming up. How do we be a church that stays the course? Even when all of those things are going on, how are we going to keep sailing in the right direction? How do we keep sailing in the right direction when we know that much of the world isn't even seeking after the Lord? In Western Europe right now, which a lot of times tends to be the direction that the United States culture goes, tends to follow after Western Europe, in that place of the world, one in ten people would say that religion is important. One in ten people would say that they pray daily. Fifteen percent of people believe that there's a God. But beyond that, it's just people running after their own thing. Even thinking about the letter to the Philippians and Greece as a country now, one in 200 people in Greece are evangelical Christians who are opening up their Bible, reading it, living it out. One in 200. The Middle East as a whole, I think it's something like 5% follow after the Lord. And so if that's what's going on there, and if we're walking through our own season here as a church, how do we stay the course? How do we be a ship that stays on mission? How do we not become what many churches in Europe have become, and that is museums, art galleries. I was reading an article about what many church buildings are in Europe now. It says, today, at least in the cities, churches and cathedrals are mostly tourist sites. Many churches have become theaters, restaurants, or serve some other purpose. They may be used for concerts, art exhibits, or shops. Many more have been converted into apartments, cafes, bars, nightclubs, or mosques. And so rather than being a ship that's just caught in, in the docks in history, talking about how we, we used to be this, we used to be that, rather than being a ship that's misguided, how can we be a ship that understands God's gospel call we see it, we value it, we understand it, and we stay the course, not just for a year, not just for 10, but to the end. How do we be a church that does that? And that's what we're going to see in 
Philippians 4. And so I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to read through that text together. Lord, we do ask that you would be our guide in the next 20 minutes or so, Lord, that you would help us see how to be a place that endures, a place that stays faithful, a place that heads in the right direction. And God, how do we be a people that are humble, teachable, and surrendered to you and your call in our lives, God? We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. We'll go ahead and turn to Philippians 4. And as you guys are doing that, I'll just give the the quick outline for the text. First, we're going to be looking at the example of Paul. And we're going to see how his gospel contentment is one of the things that would help a church stay the course. And then from there, we're going to talk about gospel partnership, which is the example that we see in the Philippian people. And so let's go ahead kind of with that in mind. Let's read through, starting in verse 10 through 23. Paul writing to the Philippians. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. The first observation that we see here is something that we've brought up all throughout the the length of this series. Paul's joyful heart. Even though he's writing from prison. Even though he's been through all the things in his life as a believer that he had been. He is writing with his joyful heart. Attitude, And we can see that in verse 10, as he's speaking with cheer, with delight, rejoicing that the Lord has provided some provision in the camaraderie that he has with the Philippian church. And we can see that tone carried through the entire portion that we're looking at this morning. Even in his, his final words of this letter, he's talking about greeting one another with this warmth and saying, hey, everybody here that's in prison, everybody that's here in Rome around me, we greet you. We greet you because we care about you. And so the first thing we see is this joyful attitude of Paul. Then as we continue on in the text, we can also see what that attitude is causing in his life, and it's causing contentment. Verse 11, he says, I'm not in need. I'm content in all situations. 
situationally. There might be things going on in his life that, that could steer him in another direction. Situationally, there could be things that would distract him from following after the Lord's faithful call on his life. But what he says here is, I am not in need. I'm content in all situations. Whether he had been flogged, whether he had been in shipwreck, he was saying, contentment in Christ, I have. And because of that, he was able to write in joy. As we look at verse 12, he, he says, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. Whether he's in a spot uh, emotionally of just like cloud nine, excited about the work of the Lord, or whether he's just experienced some trial and hardship and it's a harder day, he's able to say, I can abound and I can have little. I can have proud moments of excitement of God's work and I can also be humbled in other moments. But even in that, I'm content. We can see also in verse 12, he says, I can face plenty of food or not enough. In the environment around him, he was so bold to say, even if they take my food, even if they take me away from a church gathering, even if they put me in a cell, contentment is what I can have. I can have this gospel contentment knowing that God is with me even in this situation and even in this environment. And where is that source? But in verse 13, where he's saying, I can do all of this, all these things, through Christ who gives me strength. Through the work of the Lord in his life presently, in his life in the past, and in his life knowing how the Lord would lead and guide him. He wrote in confidence and in joy because of his contentment in, in Christ. And as I was thinking through what that contentment looked like for him, I was thinking, oh man, maybe there's some different things in my life where I've felt like the, the Lord has given me contentment and I, I couldn't come up with one specific thing. I was like, wait a minute, like we're on the cusp of Easter. Why don't we look at the contentment of Christ? Brant read from, I think it was Matthew, about what that looked like in Holy Week. When, when Jesus is showing up and he's coming into Jerusalem, he's on the donkey, he's overlooking the city, he's having compassion on the city. And at the same time, he's seeing people that are encouraging him and, and they're laying down their cloaks before him, praising and honoring him, saying, hallelujah, hosanna in the highest. And he knows full well in that moment, those are the same people that are going to be rejecting him. And what does he have but contentment there? He has contentment as he goes to the Last Supper with the disciples, with the guys that he had been running around for years, wanted to share a meal with his brothers in the faith, and he's practicing contentment there because he knows in that midst there's someone betraying him in a few hours. Fast forward from the Last Supper to go into the Garden of Gethsemane. Asks his disciples, hey, can, would you pray with me? And they fall asleep. He's in need. He's hurting. Crying out to the Father, asking that his brothers would do the same. And he's having contentment there. Lord, even though these friends of mine feels like they're not with me in this, Lord, you are there. And he's content in that. He's content as the, the torches are lit and as the mob shows up around. He's content as the mistrial begins. He's content as he is beaten. He's content as he carries the cross to Calvary. He's content as he's crucified and hanging naked in front of people. He's content in that because he knows that the Lord's plan must go through and that he is the mediating plan for that. After he 
says his last words and, and dies and goes to the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. He's content in waiting for the Father and the promise that he would rise again. And so that contentment that Jesus was practicing was the contentment that Paul had begun to understand. He wasn't perfect at it. He was a man. He was a sinner. He had problems. He had issues. But one thing he had learned was being content in the gospel good news message that Jesus had saved him. And then he had a promise that would be fulfilled in the future. And he was content in that. And so what he's doing by his example with the Philippian church is showing them, hey, we can be content in this. We can stay the course. Philippi, if you guys have people that are leading you astray theologically, you guys in Philippi, if you're experiencing persecution because many people there don't follow after Jesus, you can have contentment knowing that God is good and he's with you in this. But you need that gospel contentment, Philippi, if you're going to be a church that stays the course. And that was his plea and encouragement for them. Gospel contentment happens in a church culture when its people overcome the temptation to let their situations, let their anxieties, let their surroundings define them by instead embracing the reality that Christ is with them. And so for me and for you, are we letting situations right now derail us, taking us off mission, when really we could be finding contentment in the Lord amidst those? Are there different circumstances? Are there things in your environment? Are there feelings? Are there anxieties that are stressing you out? That's derailing you from knowing that God is with you in it. There can be this gospel Contentment, knowing that God is with you. In Romans uh, chapter 5, it says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace or this contentment, right, with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who he has given to us all. And so the secret for the church, in part, is that we would have this gospel contentment, this understanding before the Lord that because we have his Holy Spirit within us, we can function full battery. We can function with fuel and oxygen in our lungs, knowing that God is with us as life happens in front of us. And that gospel contentment is the root that we need to fixate so much of our life and journey on. Knowing that that is the source for our health in the present and for longevity down the road. There must be that gospel contentment. The next thing we're going to see in the text is this idea of gospel partnership that's shown through the Philippian church's example. And so let's reread verses uh, 10 and then 14 to 18 as well. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you, the Philippians, have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Verse 14. 
Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into, fellow, into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. That's nearly like 10 different ways the Philippian church was caring for Paul, where they were partnering with him. We can see it right there in verse 10 where they had this level of concern for their brother. They knew the situation that he was in. They knew that he was going through a difficult time as a, as a man in ministry trying to help oversee a whole bunch of churches throughout that area of the world. And because they saw the place that he was in and because they had this contentment in the Lord, they also had this compassion, this willingness to have a helping hand for their brother in the faith. And so we see right there, verse 10, they had this desire, they had this concern for their brother. We can look in verse 14 and see what they were doing with that concern was they were sharing in the trouble. They weren't just noticing, oh, yeah, like tough situation for Paul over there. Man, that stinks. Not good. Bad news. They didn't watch their brother suffer. But what they did was participate and partner with him. And that's the partnership that he speaks of in, in verses 13 and 14. This healthy fellowship. This yoke fellow sort of thing that Matt was talking about last week where there's this giving and receiving. It wasn't just some one-way relationship where Paul was trying to get as much out of them as he could, nor was it the Philippians trying to get as much out of Paul as they could. It was this mutual, ongoing friendship because they were partnering for the sake of the gospel. They had the same mission. Verse 16, we can see that it was this unconditional care as well. They weren't fair-weather friends. It's like, hey, if Paul's gone, we're still going to care for him. If he's no longer here, we're still going to love him. If he's no longer around us, we're going to reach out and do everything we can to participate in the gospel work of Paul. And Paul had that same care for them. Verse 18 talks about the abounding generosity. If the, the church heard, oh, Paul needs $1,000, they went above and beyond that. Because they wanted to show out of the generosity of their heart and care for a fellow brother in the faith, they were going to abound in giving. And it wasn't just an abundance of financial gifts. We can also see that they sent gifts through Epaphroditus to him. There were these thoughtful things that they did for their brother in a time of need. We don't know if it was like pen, paper, candle, blanket for warmth. We don't know what it was that they had gifted him with besides the money. But the idea was they had this thoughtfulness for their brother who was in a season of trial. And Paul had that same love and care for them. And that's why he wrote. That's why he wrote the letter. And so functionally, the Philippian church got there in that place where they were taking care of their brother. Because first they had that gospel contentment before the Lord. But they had also traded this culture of individualism for a culture of family. Where they were going to treat him like a sibling, a loved one, bring him under their care in the ways that they could. Even when 
it seemed like there was an opportunity for that. We can see also in verse 10 that they traded maybe what could have been a lack of zeal for readiness. The second there was an opportunity to love Paul and serve Paul and encourage Paul from afar, that's what they did. They had this sort of love that Romans 12 talks about. It speaks here about what a believer's life should look like. Romans 12, 9 to 13, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. That is the sort of love right there that the Philippians had for Paul and that Paul had for the Philippians. It's this partnering, I'm with you in the trials sort of love. It wasn't a conditioned love, but an unconditional love in light of the gospel that Paul had experienced in light of the gospel that the Philippians had experienced. And it's that same exact care and love and, and affection and partnership much of Anthem has been built on. From the second the idea of church plant got into the minds of the Candeo staff five, six years ago, there was this idea of like, okay, if God's doing a good work here, what if we got a group of people together and we started a new work elsewhere? So a group of 30-ish adults said, okay, let's, let's sacrifice maybe living around family. Let's sacrifice maybe, you know, saving up our money to go on the next vacation. And let's partner with one another as a small group of people and go to another place so that we can see the gospel work of God there. What if we partnered with one another and did that? That question was asked, and that lifestyle began. And in coming down here, like I remember there, there were so many weeks where it's like, man, we got to go set up Salt Company on campus again. And, oh, we're supposed to be in this building. Oh, wait, they switched us. The number of times that would happen, but it's like, you know what? It's annoying. It's frustrating. But it's worth it. We're going to partner with one another, and it's worth it. We're staying the course. When we were setting up church at the hotels that we met in for the first three years, it wasn't always fun to get there at 6 a.m., right? It wasn't always fun to tear things down. And, and you know, like trying to serve the church by getting worship set up and everything. And then at the end of the service, people like have questions and stuff. It's like, man, I, it's hard for me to answer questions right now because I'm just thinking about how I'm going to take this worship stuff down. And I'm tired and I'm weary. And there were a lot of days where we were tired. But because we understood the gospel, we had found contentment in the Lord. And because we had brothers and sisters around us, even on our off days, it was, hey, we're partnering for the same thing. And it might be hard and there might be trials and there might be hiccups and bumps in the road. But because we're partnering around this one mission, there can be this endurance and this keep going sort of attitude. And that's what Paul had asked them for and that's what they had provided through their relationship with the Lord and so gospel partnership develops as a church moves from discontentment and critique and individualism to gospel contentment, compassion, and community. And the second that contentment or the second that partnership is gone, 
is the same second that things would start to falter. So the urgent need of the church in Philippi, the urgent need for our churches to rally around the truth of the gospel, knowing that we can be actively running after what God has called us to, making disciples here in Columbia. So that more students might come to know, love, and obey Jesus. So that more people in the church community would know, love, and obey Jesus. And so that by the grace of God, we may be able to send people out of here, starting churches, partnering with one another, to see the same thing happen. And so this morning, the, the, the question is, out of all the ships in a harbor, which one are we? Are we a docked ship? That's just hanging out. It's, it's nice to just, well, we have a building, we have a place, we can gather somewhere. We got, you know, our crew and our people, and let's just intermingle. But maybe not run forward. Maybe not lift the sails up, maybe not go anywhere. Let's just be a dock that maybe later becomes like a cool museum or something. Is that our church? Are we a ship in the harbor that is heading out and maybe we're misguided. Maybe the, the navigational stuff is confusing and we, we can't quite figure it out and we're running in a direction that's actually away from God's word and away from what God would call us to. Are we that ship? Or are we a ship that's leaving the harbor, going in the direction that God's word would call us to and partnering with one another in that? All hands on deck seeking out the mission to know, love, and obey Jesus through making disciples. Because what we don't want to end up as, we don't want to end up as the, 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 the Western Europe situation. Sorry, that took me a second to get that out there. But like when we look at Western Europe, like that is not a good thing for one in 10 people. One in 10 people say, yeah, I pray daily. One in ten people say that religion is important. That means 90% don't value it. Likely 95% aren't following after Jesus. And if we want to be a community that follows after Jesus, not only today, but for years on end, we have to be able to rally around the gospel with excitement, no matter what situations might be going on around us. And by the grace of God, that can happen. We can be a church that is sailing in that direction. It's going to take contentment in the Lord. It's going to take partnering with one another, but it can be done. And I think a huge thing to emphasize with this is we're not just going to put it on a few elders in our church to do that. We're not just going to put it on a few staff in our church to do that. It is all of us together partnering for the gospel going forward. And there might be different frustrations or anxieties or worries we have. But if we can be content in the Lord, we can rally around one another and see that God's word is clear. The message is simple. Let's be content in the Lord as individuals. Let's be content in the Lord as a church body. And let's go. Let's run after what God has called us to. That's the hope that we can have in Christ. And so this morning, there's a lot of people in here with a lot of different spots that we're in, right? And so for some, it might be, man, you're talking about gospel contentment. You're talking about gospel partnership. I don't even know what the gospel is. And if that's you, that's okay. Welcome to Anthem. We love preaching the good news of Jesus. The gospel is simply that, that there is 
a thing on earth called broken humans, and that's what all of us are. And even though we are broken sinners, there is a great and glorious God who sent a mediating work in his son to earth so that we can be unified with God, even though there's currently brokenness with him. And for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ. That is the good news message that gives us hope. And so for some, that might be the exact action step this morning. It's like, man, I've never considered myself a Christian before. I've never understood the gospel before. And it's getting on your knees before the Lord saying, God, I cannot do this on my own. I tried sailing my own ship, and it's not going well. It's actually run aground. And it's that surrender before the Lord. For others, maybe you've, you've made that commitment, and now it's figuring out, okay, how can I be more and more content in the Lord? I got this situation going on. I got this frustrating thing. I got this just emotional drama that I'm working through because of this or because of that. Maybe it really is some unfair stuff in your workplace or in your home. But how can you, as a follower of Christ, be content in him amidst that? And it's confessing and, and bringing those anxieties and worries before the Lord. It's opening up Psalms, realizing, God, you are with me in this. Open up Proverbs, Lord, would you give me wisdom as I interact on this topic or this frustration? And it's learning that contentment in Christ, like Paul showed, like Jesus showed in his contentment before the Father. That's the area of growth for you this morning. And for others, it's, it's learning how to continue to partner well. It's learning how to figure out your finances so that you can provide for the church financially. You, you can follow through Scripture's call to give. For others, it might be, I, I'm doing well there. I understand that God has called us to give our first and our best, and I'm following through with that. I understand that. Where else? How else can I give? Maybe it's serving with the, the youth ministry. Maybe it's helping out in Anthem Kids. Maybe if you're in this thing called the Connection Group, college side or community side of the church, and you see, wow, we have a really big group. I bet that's a lot of weight or pressure on this person or that person. What if you said, hey, is there anything I can do? How can I help partner with you? As you're leading out in ministry, how can I support you? Like that's how the church is going to stay on course and, and keep running with fire and passion is that partnering with one another. And so this morning, the simple question is, okay, for you as an individual, what is the step to be a better partner, to be more content in the Lord, or maybe to give yourself to the Lord, to give your life to Christ? It is my desire for this church from now until forever to be passionate about the gospel, to be passionate about college students seeing just new life in their faith in Christ. And what would kill my heart is if we started to run in a different direction because of this situation or that. So I'm going to pray for us and, and leave you guys with that. How can we partner well with ministry here, how can we partner with one another? Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are just humbly here before you, opening up your word and trusting that your spirit is guiding and convicting us. 
to understand the gospel, to understand how to find contentment even in trials, to understand how to partner well, God, so that we can be a place that's on course. We can be a people who are on course to the end. And so, God, I just pray over each of the individuals in this room and their, their different stories, the different places in life they may be. And, God, I pray that you would do a work in the, in the present hour for them. Lord, I pray over just all the college students who aren't with us this morning as they're back in their home communities. God, I pray that they would stay faithful to the simple call of the gospel while they're at home and as they return. Lord, we love you and praise you and honor you. In Jesus' name, amen.